Thank you, Sarah. Would you all stand with me this morning? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Pastor Bruce begins a series on faith, finances, and a fresh start. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. We're going to read verses 5 through 10. Again, Proverbs chapter 3, 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for Lord, bringing us all here safely. God, we thank you for the new year. Lord, may you challenge us our hearts, challenge our hearts and our lives this morning to honor you with all that we have, our lives, our finances, and God, may our spirits just lift you up. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I got to admit, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to begin this new series that we're calling Faith, Finances, and a Fresh Start, and uh, a series on stewardship, and I'm just, I'm excited to be able to uh, stand here before you and to communicate what God says about stewardship, an exciting topic. But I'm also a realist. I understand that there may be some folks here that aren't quite as excited about this subject as I am. In fact, it reminds me of the story. Maybe you've heard this old story about a pastor talking to his farmer friend. And he asked the farmer, if you had 100 horses, would you give God 50? Certainly, he said. The pastor asked the farmer, well, if you had 100 cows, would you give God 50? The farmer said, yes, I would. And then the pastor asked, if you had two pigs, would you give God one? And the farmer said, now cut that out, pastor. You know I have two pigs. (laughs) And if we're honest, there's a small part of us that that's how we may feel about the subject of giving. We would maybe like to try to avoid the subject if possible, but it's hard to do that. It's hard to avoid the subject of finances, stewardship, money in general, even in the context of church. After all, we spend most of our life trying to make money, don't we? And then the rest of our life trying to spend it. And so it's not surprising that when you scan the God's Word that the Bible is filled with so many stories about money. How to make it, how to spend it, how to save it, how to give it away. In fact, in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses has to do with money, either directly or indirectly. In 16 out of 38 parables, Jesus told money is involved. Uh, There are over 2,300 verses in the Bible that relate specifically to finances and possessions. So money and possessions, stewardship, and this whole concept is all over God's Word. And what this means is you can't read the Bible very long without realizing that what you and I do with our finances, with our possessions and money, well, it's rather important. It's very important in God's eyes. In fact, Jesus realizes that most people, we tend to struggle with managing money. And that's why he devoted so much of his teaching to this critical area in our life. He dealt with money matters 
Because, well, let's be honest, money matters to us and it matters to God. And that's why in this series, we want to take the next few weeks, four weeks in particular, counting today, and we want to find out, hey, what does God say about money? Listen, we, we watch TV, we read the papers, and our culture tells us their view of money. Our culture has a concept and a perspective and a philosophy about money and finances in general, and, and we're inundated with that. And so often it's a good idea for us as believers in Jesus Christ to take some time to find out, hey, what does God have to say about it? What's his perspective about all this? And so that's our goal here in the next few weeks. One of the chapters in the book, Handling Life's Disappointments, is entitled, All Stressed Up with Nowhere to Go. Anybody relate to that? Maybe, maybe so. It states that millions of Americans suffer from excessive stress in life. And according to most studies, the number one cause of stress is, you guessed it, dealing with financial problems. And in light of the deepest economic recession since the Great Depression of 1929 that our country has been in for the last year and a half, two years or so, there's no doubt that more people are dealing with financial problems than ever before. Especially when you consider that unemployment is still at 10%. So here's a question to think about. How many of you could use a fresh start in your finances? Here we are at the beginning of a new year, 2011. And a fresh start in our finances, man, that sounds like a wonderful idea. And perhaps you're here this morning, you say, wow, boy, that, that, that's me. I, I could use a fresh start in my finances. Well, if you want a fresh start in your finances, notice this in your notes. It begins and it ends with faith in God. It begins and it ends with faith in God. And everything in between as well. If we were to ask people, if we were to take a survey across America, even here in Kansas City, and just ask them the question, hey, what would it take for you to get a fresh start in your finances? What do you think most people would say in answer to the question, what would it take for a fresh start? Well, I'm sure we'd hear a variety of answers to that, but I think most people would say, and it would take more Money to have a fresh start in my finances. And, hey, hey, after all, who, who wouldn't like a little bit more money in their finances for 2011, right? I mean, we would all like to have a little bit more money in our checking account, retirement accounts, our pockets, our purses, wallets, whatever the case may be. But listen, more money is almost never the answer to our financial problems. I mean, all you have to do is look at our government to see that more money is not the answer. If you want a fresh start in your finances, it begins and ends with faith in God. Now, throughout this series, what we're going to see is that a fresh start in our finances always comes down to an issue of trust. Do I trust God? Do I trust God enough to manage the money I do have His way, according to His word? It always comes down to that issue. Proverbs 3, verse 5, and verse 9, as Kirk read for us, really summarizes it well for us this morning. He says it this way, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not 
on your own understanding. And then in verse 9, he says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. A fresh start in your finances is as simple as following these two verses. Now, let's stop for a moment, because if our goal is to find out what God says about this idea of stewardship, then we need to have a basic understanding of what stewardship means, what this concept is, what the word is really. So notice there in your notes, what is stewardship? Stewardship, here's a basic definition of it. It's the management, it's the management of my God-given resources. The management of my God-given resources for God's glory, first and foremost, for other people's good, and then get this, even for our joy. Yeah, even for our joy. Now, that's a cool definition. And so when we speak of stewardship, we're really referring to the management of our God-given resources. We all have those resources. And how we utilize those resources for God's glory, for other people's good, and for even our joy is what stewardship is all about. Now, with this in mind, I'm sure there may, maybe you even have, a lot of questions about stewardship. We could ask a whole lot of questions, and we could spend a lot of time answering those questions, and every question is probably important. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have time to answer every question there is. But I do want to take some time this morning that we do have to answer four basic questions about stewardship from God's perspective here in Proverbs chapter 3, and specifically verses 5 and 6 and 9 and 10. So let's look at these four questions. Number one, the first question is, what is the purpose of my stewardship? If stewardship is the management of my God-given resources, then what's the purpose of it? Well, notice the first three words in Proverbs 3, verse 9. It says what? Honor the Lord. This should be our single most important goal in life, to honor God. And so that is the purpose, is to honor the Lord. And it's always a good thing to kind of step back in our life. In the beginning of a new year is a great time to do that, to kind of step back and check our motivation, our purpose regarding all the issues of life. And honoring God should be our primary motivation for everything we do. And this goes beyond just our our giving or our finances, if you will. It includes our marriage, our job, our social life, our relationships, our entertainment, whatever the case may be. I mean... After all, remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 31? In fact, when I was in high school, uh, I went to a private high school, Christian high school, and they had this verse uh, up in our gym wall. And I, 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 so I always remember this verse. I, I look at this verse every day that I went to school at Tri-City Christian High School. Are you familiar with this verse? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? To the glory of God. Typically, people are motivated to give by one of three things. Some people are motivated to give because of guilt, by the guilt they have within them. And that is they give because, well, they think they ought to. Other people are, are what we could call grudge givers. They, it is, they give because they think they have to, so they give grudgingly. But the New Testament teaches us to be grace givers. That is, we're to give out of a heart of gratitude and love because we want to honor God. We want to glorify him with everything about us. And money 
more than anything else, represents our life. And so God here, through King Solomon, tells us, listen, the purpose of our stewardship is to honor God as the source and as the giver of everything we have. Now, what exactly does it mean to honor, then, our Lord? Well, often the word for honor, as it is used here in Proverbs, is used to describe the concept of being weighted down. For example, a king is, we could say, is weighted down with the accessories of, of royalty, such as his crown and his robe. And, and oftentimes we see in movies he's holding a scepter, and etc. And so when we honor God, it means that, in a sense, we weigh him down by crowning him the Lord and the king of our lives, the leader of our lives. To say that we honor God means that we give him his rightful place in our lives as king, and we're willing to follow him as his, can I say, subjects. In the context of stewardship, or in the area of finances, to honor God means that we put our complete trust in him with just that. Our finances. The money that we earn in our paychecks. Think of it this way. We are really nothing more than, than what in this world? Stewards or managers who are just passing through this world. Now, here's a thought that may encourage you or discourage you, but 50 years from now, everything you own, well, it will be in someone else's hands. That encourages you, right? We entered this world naked without a dime, and Job says we will leave the same way. In reality, we really don't own a thing. We are simply God's stewards of the things he has entrusted to us. Therefore, it is imperative that we honor God with our resources, especially if we are professing believers in Jesus Christ. This is our purpose in stewardship. And God makes an incredible statement in 1 Samuel 2.30 when he says, those who honor me, I will honor as well. So what's the purpose of our stewardship? What is it? To honor God, to honor our Lord. The second question we want to answer is, well, what's the product of my stewardship? What's the product of it? Well, King Solomon the writer of Proverbs here teaches us that the first step to a fresh start in your finances is to honor God. But to honor him with what? And we already kind of know the answer to this because of the topic we're talking about. But notice again exactly what it says in verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions. The product of our stewardship, we could say, it, it really includes everything that's entrusted to us. And we can categorize that, many people do, in different ways, such as time, your talents, and specifically here in the context of Proverbs 9, our treasure. Um, this is what King Solomon is emphasizing with the word possessions. And so for our sake here, we could define it this way. The product of my stewardship is my God-given material and monetary resources. It's my God-given material and monetary resources. Now, some of us, and I think all of us at some point in time in our life, we have a tendency to do this. And that is to live our lives as if it was like a, a hotel corridor with room after room. And here's what I mean by that. As God walks down the hall, he sees the family room. 
with the door open for him to come in. And then he walks further down the hall and, and God sees our workroom and he's invited into our workroom. And then he sees our, our office room and he's invited in. He sees our hobby room and it's open to him. He sees our bedroom and bathroom and they're all open to him. But when it comes to the room where we keep our possessions, where we keep our money, God sees a, a do not disturb sign hanging on the door. Think about it. What, what is the one thing that is prone to dominate and to dictate our lives? What's the one thing that's prone to consume a lot of our waking moment in life? It, it's money, and it's the things that money can buy. And God understands that. And in fact, God says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not that money necessarily in and of itself is evil, but the, the passion, the ambition for it, the desire for it above God and the things that it can buy is the root of all evil. In fact, it, it's so easy, especially in our culture here in America, to get trapped into thinking that money is the answer to all our problems. I mean, how many of us have gone to bed at night and we laid awake thinking or we get up in the morning, we're driving to work or we're driving home from work thinking, oh, if I only got that raised, if I only had more money. Life would be so much better, so much simpler. My problems would be gone. It's the answer to it. If I just had more money. And we're all tempted to think that. We all have thought that once or twice or whatever. And this is why God says, listen, honor the Lord with your possessions or money. Now, please understand, God, God's not saying it's wrong or it's a bad idea to have money or even the things that money can buy. However, there is something far better than money. And that is what money can't buy. And you do realize money can't buy everything, right? I mean, but on the other side, hey, there's no denying it. Money can buy a lot of things. We all know that too. Money can buy you a big, beautiful house. But all the money in the world can't transform a house into a home, right? I mean, money can buy a lot of toys for your kids, for your grandchildren even. But listen, money can't buy your kids' love. It can't buy your grandkids' love. It can't buy your family's joy. Money can buy a lot of stuff and things, but money can't buy peace and purpose and satisfaction in life. Money can't buy a relationship with Jesus Christ as well. So while many of us desire to honor God with our lives, how often do we consider that money is another way in which we honor God? How we manage our finances is a way. And you say, well, how, how, how do we do this? How do we go about Well, let me suggest there's three ways in which we can honor God with our money and possessions. First, we honor God by how we get it. In this day and age, we all know, I'm sure at least of some people who, who get things and get money dishonestly. And so let me encourage all of us here, earn it honestly and diligently. That's a way to honor God. Another way is we honor God by how we guard it, how we guard the money we do earn and the things we have. And let me just suggest, we ought to save strategically and spend it reasonably to meet personal needs and desires as well as to meet the needs of other people and to benefit the kingdom of God. And third, we honor God by how we then give it. 
And of course, we know from the New Testament that Paul in, in Corinthians encourages us to give it cheerfully to accomplish God's purposes here on this earth. As we have learned so far, we are stewards of God's resources, and how we manage it is vitally important. Listen, folks, when we stand before God at the judgment seat, we're going to be held accountable in this area of our life as well. In a sense, he will ask us, and I, you know, God, he may ask it in this way or another way, whatever the case may be, but he's going to ask us how we honored him with our resources. Did we use his resources to glorify him and to benefit his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, or did we use his resources to just benefit ourselves and our family? What is the purpose of our stewardship? Listen, it's to honor God first and foremost. What is the product of our stewardship? Specifically, it's the resources of our money and possessions. And this leads us to our third question. What is the priority of my stewardship? What is the priority of my stewardship? Notice again the very last phrase of Proverbs 3, verse 9. Notice that it's very specific about the priority of our stewardship. It says, look at it, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the what? First fruits of all your increase. So the priority of my stewardship is this, if you're filling in your notes, is to honor the Lord with the first fruits, you could even say the first portion of the resources God entrusts to me. Now that begs another question here, a sub-question if you will. What in the world is this talking about first fruits? Well, the concept of giving first fruits, as it's called here in Proverbs, was based on the agricultural economy of Israel. It was the way the children of Israel would, would give their tithe, or 10%, to the Lord. According to Leviticus 23, verses 19 through 14, the Israelites were required to give God the first fruits of all their crops. Why? Well, it was a way to acknowledge that God is the ultimate owner. He is the the source, if you will, of their land and all their crops and the increase of their harvest of the crops. In fact, you could go to 2 Chronicles, verse 31 through verses 4 and 5, and it tells us the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field, and they brought it abundantly the tithe of everything. Now, the last time I checked, uh, most of you know Bill Howes, our treasurer, and uh, we have ushers here that, that pass the offering plate, and uh, last time I checked with the, uh, the ushers and Bill Howe, the treasurer who counts the money and whatnot, um, you know, we don't give the first fruits of our crops to God. Now, I, for one, am thankful for that because... Uh, Last time my wife and I planted a garden in our backyard, it was, well, let's just say it was pretty sad. It was pretty puny. We didn't reap a whole lot in our garden. And, uh, in fact, since then, which was about three years ago, we haven't had a garden. Darla just spread wild seeds, flowers, and it just grows up like that because we got so frustrated with the squirrels and rabbits eating off all the tomatoes, off the tomato plants. And, uh, and so if we were to still, you know, to give the first fruits of our garden... Well, for Darla and I, there wouldn't be a whole lot in there. <laughs> it would be a bad deal. 
in our economy today, in our economic structure today here in America, we don't give the first fruits of our garden, of our crops. What do we do? The application would be we give the first fruits of our income, of our paycheck. Reminds me of the story of the little girl who was given $2 by her father. She thought she was living high on the hog with $2. And so he told her she could do anything she wanted with one of those dollars and that the other was to be given to God on Sunday at church. The girl nodded in agreement and asked if she could go to the candy store. And with visions of all that she could buy with her dollar, she happily skipped toward the store, holding tightly to the $2 in her hand. Well, as she was skipping along, she tripped and fell, and the wind blew one of the dollars into a storm drain at the curb. Picking herself up, the little girl looked at the dollar still in her hand, and then at the storm drain. And said, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. (laughs) We laugh at that. But I wonder if we were to go before the Lord in all honesty, how many times that is our attitude when it comes to giving of the first fruits of our income. First me, and then God. But what does Proverbs 3, 9 say? It says, first God, and then me. We are to honor God with the first fruits of our income, not the leftovers. And yet that's what many people give to God, is the leftovers of their income. They pay the mortgage and rent. They pay their car payment. They pay the cable bill, the cell phone bill, the credit card bills. They buy groceries. They eat out. They see a movie. They do this and do that. And then they look to see if anything is left over in their checking account. And if there is, then they'll give to God. But God doesn't deserve what's left over. Listen, he deserves the first fruits of our income. So stewardship, listen... The idea of stewardship here, it it is understanding, first and foremost, that 100% of what we have belongs to God. And he simply is asking us to honor him with the first fruits of it all. The Old and New Testaments both refer to this as, quote, the tithe. The word you all or most of you are familiar with. And, of course, a tithe uh, literally means what? One-tenth. Or, or 10%. And yes, the New, pattern, New Testament pattern of giving is characterized by grace, not law. But that grace never negates the pattern of the Bible, the pattern of the tithe of giving. In fact, because of God's grace, we could really say tithing is really just the starting place of our giving, not the end. In fact, it's a great place to start. I love what J. Oswald Chambers said, he put it like this, the basic question is not how much of our money should we give to God, but how much of God's money should we keep for ourselves? So why should we honor the Lord with our first fruits? Let me give you three quick reasons here of of what this does for us, because there's a benefit to our lives. First of all, it's a way of expressing gratitude to God for his gracious provisions. 
It's a way of tangibly expressing gratitude to God for his gracious provisions. Of, of re, as a reminder, saying, boy, God is the source of all this. And God, thank you for giving to me and blessing me. Thank you for providing my basic necessities of life and the job that I do have. Or, and if I don't have a job, that you're still, I haven't gone hungry. I still have clothes on my back. I still have shelter over my, my head and my family's head. God, thank you as I give back to you, and I trust you now for even more, which brings us to the second reason of what it does for us. It's a way of trusting God with all your heart. When we give the first fruits, even when it may not make financial sense, And I find it so interesting that four verses before King Solomon writes about honoring God with the first fruits of our income, that he writes about what? Trusting God. You think that was by coincidence? Notice what it says in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not, what? On your own understanding. And, And folks, let's be honest. Sometimes our understanding of what makes financial sense from our human perspective. From a human perspective, we look at our financial situation and we say, well, this is what makes sense. But from God's perspective, it it, it may not be that way. And that's why instead of leaning on our own understanding, we are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. In fact, uh, it's interesting, uh, if you've ever gone to a financial planner, um, my wife and have, we have a couple of times, and you begin to share your, your financial situation with them. And you begin to share where, you know, here's what our income is, here's what we pay out, and here's our assets, la da 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 And they say, well, what's this over here? I see a lot of money going over here to your church. Oh, yeah, that's what we give to, to God through our church. Well, that's, that's, you know, that could be used for your retirement. See, what makes financial sense to them, they don't understand. You say, well, no, that's not, that, we're not changing that. That's not up for debate. And that doesn't make financial sense to them. Why? Because they're, they're an unbeliever or they don't understand God's financial perspectives here. So it's a way, when we give, it's a way of trusting God with all our heart, even when it may not make financial sense. In fact, some of you may have experienced this even within the last year of a job loss. You're like, you know what? I'm going to continue to give. And Ralph is smiling because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I know Ralph's situation a little bit because he was in my small group and he was out of a job for, it was eight months, I believe. And when you continue to give, even when you don't have income coming in like you used to, it just stretches your trust, doesn't it? But there's a third way of what this does for us. It's a way of acknowledging that God is the owner of all my resources and I'm the manager. Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And so when I give the first fruits of my income, it's a way to be reminded that, hey, God owns everything I have. So here's a question. If you make $500 a week and you give 10%, how much of it belongs to God? $50, right? Wrong. $500 belongs to God. Well, then why do we give if it all belongs to God? After all, it's not as if God really needs our money, right? He has more resources than we can imagine. 
Listen, God wants what your money represents. And that's you. He wants your heart. And when we give to God, we're giving him the first fruits of ourselves. And we're acknowledging, God, you are the source of all that I have. You are the giver of it. And I acknowledge that with the portion here, what I give back to you. So what is the priority of our stewardship? Is to honor the Lord with the first fruits of our income. Now, listen, let me just say this little caveat here. If you wait until you think you can afford to give and continue to spend the first fruits on yourself and everyone else you owe, listen, it, it won't happen. It will not happen. You have to decide now, regardless of what your financial situation is. Again, it goes back to the issue of trust. The fourth and final question is the best part about stewardship. And that is, what is the promise of my stewardship? What is the promise of it? Look at Proverbs 3, verse 10, and notice what it says. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, this is an amazing promise. In fact, it's a supernatural promise that God makes when we demonstrate our trust in God by giving him the first fruits of our income. Now, don't ask me how it works, because I don't know how it all works. But here's what I do know, that after honoring God in our giving for 20 years now as a married couple, I know it works. This promise works. God's stewardship plan works. In fact, God makes the same promise later on in the New Old Testament in one of the minor prophets called Malachi. In chapter 3, verse 10, when he says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and prove or test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And here's the, his challenge. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. What a challenge God throws down to you and I. Basically, he says something like this. Hey, go ahead. Go ahead and test me on this giving thing and see if you don't come out ahead. Here's the essence of God's promise of my stewardship. Look at it. They're in your notes. If we will give properly, you could even say biblically. If we will give properly and biblically, God will bless us abundantly. That's the essence of the promise. And almost every time, this is so amazing, so cool. I love this about our Lord. Almost every time the Bible talks about giving, do you realize it also emphasizes our receiving? Almost every time you see giving in the Word of God, there is this idea of you and I receiving when we manage our resources God's way. In fact, the phrase, be filled, back in Proverbs 3, verse 10, is in the imperfect tense which all that means is just that it's an ongoing process. In other words, what the King Solomon is trying to communicate to us here, that is I continue to honor God in my giving, God just keeps on blessing, and I just keep on receiving. And we say, wow, I've always wanted to be rich, man. This is a great plan. 
If I give to God, then he will bless me so that I can buy a bigger house and I can get that new car and I can get this and buy that and acquire this. Uh, Wait a minute. Do you really think God is promising to make you, quote, rich if you give to him? Listen. It's not beyond God's means or even his purpose to bless some of us with wealth. And he does. But he may also simply bless you with the daily provisions of what you need in life. And that's a blessing too. Did you hear about the story of the lady with light-colored hair? I don't tell blonde jokes. Who begged God to let her win the lottery. She prayed, please God, let me win. If I win, I'll give you 10%. She didn't win that week. She prayed to God, oh God, please, please let me just win the lottery. I need it, and if I win, I promise I'll give you 25% of the winnings. Well, she didn't win that week either. So this time she got on her knees and she prayed, please God, let me win the lottery. If I win, I promise with all my heart I'll give you 50%. Still, she didn't win. Finally, she got honest with God and said, God, please tell me, why haven't I won the lottery? And God said, help me out here. Buy a ticket at least. (laughs) Now listen, God isn't telling you to buy a lottery ticket, to increase your wealth and have more money as the answer to your problems. And he isn't promising necessarily to make you rich. But listen, God does promise And you can go to Philippians 4.19 to see one of the promises. God does promise in Philippians 4.19 to supply all your needs through his riches in Christ. Too many times we think our lives are like a bucket. You got a picture of a bucket in your mind? Where we keep everything for ourselves. But God says our lives is supposed to be like a funnel where we share our blessings with one another. God's promise is if you will open the bottom of your funnel by giving generously, he says, I'll pour it in the top of the funnel so that all your needs are provided for. But if you greedily close up the bottom of the funnel, I'll quit pouring it in the top. The Apostle Paul states the same principle this way in 2 Corinthians 9.8 when he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Captain Levy, a believer from Philadelphia, was once asked how he could give so much to the Lord's work and, and still possess great wealth. And the captain replied, Oh, as I shovel it out... God just shovels it in, and the Lord has a bigger shovel. Pretty simple concept, how true. Now, although this promise is guaranteed by God himself, please understand, it requires faith on our part. In fact, I would suggest that God's promise requires upfront faith. God is saying, you begin to honor me with the first fruits of your income, and I'll pour out my blessings in response. And if you're like most people, we want to say, "Uh, listen, God, 
How about if you bless me first, and then I'll give as you want me to give? And God says, listen, no, it doesn't work that way. It's like Peter walking on water. You've got to get out of the boat and take the first step of faith. So if you're holding back on giving until God blesses you, where you think he's got to bless you to the point where you can give, may I suggest to you, you've got it backwards. You have got it backwards. Now, this is an incredible statement, an incredible promise God makes when it comes to honoring him with our finances. But again, I want us to leave here this morning with understanding that it all comes down to one key question. Will I trust God? Will I trust God? Will I demonstrate my trust in God by giving the first fruits of my income to the Lord through my church? Listen, here's the bottom line. Giving always comes down to a matter of trust. Do I trust God? And can God trust me? If you're having a hard time trusting God with your finances, perhaps this question will help you get past that. And the question is this. If you're a believer here, and if you can trust God with what he says in John 3.16, then why can't you trust God with what he says in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10? Listen, it doesn't make any sense to trust God with our eternal lives and then not trust God with our earthly resources. That is a contradiction in terms. So let me encourage you. Step out and trust him. Take his challenge of his promise and see if it doesn't work. Now let me close by sharing with you a stewardship plan that absolutely works and at the same time, honors God. It's a stewardship plan that my wife and I have tried to practice in our marriage since we got married. It's a simple stewardship plan. It's one that many of you are familiar with, but perhaps you're here this morning and you're not familiar with it, and maybe you'll benefit from this. The stewardship plan is called the 10-10-80 principle. How many of you have heard of it? Several hands. 10, 10, 80 principle of stewardship. All it means is this. The first 10% of our income, we give to God. The second 10% of our income, we put towards savings. And then the 80% that's left over, that's what we live on. I'm telling you, it's a great plan. It's a plan that absolutely works, and it's a plan that honors God. It's a plan that my wife and I committed to try to live by in the first year of our marriage. Now, I will say, it wasn't always easy, and it hasn't always been easy to live by that plan, especially in the first few years of our marriage. Because I like to describe it this way. When we first got married... My wife brought the beauty, and I brought the debt into the marriage. We didn't make a whole lot of money at that time, but I'm telling you, 
The amount of money is never the issue when it comes to honoring God. It is never the issue. The issue is, do I trust God enough? And in our first few years of marriage, it stretched our trust to try to live by this plan. But I can stand here today and say, even in those first few years, while it was hard at times to to give God the first fruits of our income, to give him 10%, if you will, and to try to save a little bit of money towards retirement, and then to live on what was left over and try to pay all the bills, to try to pay off the debt that we had accumulated, which became hers because it was mine that I brought in, and then just to try to make ends meet. Listen, we sometimes wonder, how are we going to make it? Is it you know, and you're coming up empty in the checking account and whatnot. And it's, it's a stretching experience. But I can honestly say that after 20 years, God has never failed on his promise. God has blessed us in ways that are unimaginable in 20 years of marriage of simply following this plan. And we haven't followed it perfectly. Please don't walk out of here thinking that. There have been times that, that you know, and, and I, after 20 years, uh, you know, I don't think I've been perfect in my giving as well. I think there's probably been a few times I've missed. Although, when I get my contribution to port, that's one of the first things I look. How faithful was I? And did I miss? And were we going to make it up? Our, our saving of 10% hasn't always been there. And for us, we consider the, the 10% savings long-term savings, savings for retirement. And then the 80%, you know, because you, you save towards, you save to spend. I hope you guys understand that. The purpose of save money is to spend it. You, you save it to spend it for um, for long-term purposes, short-term purposes, whatever the case may be. But over the years, we've tried. And after 20 years, God has blessed in so many ways. And now to this day, after living on that plan for 20 years, we're to the point in our life where um, God has blessed us with what I consider just the extras in life. Above and beyond the basic necessities of food and clothing and shelter. And part of that is because of our commitment to live by this 10, 10, 80 principle and not to allow our living to exceed the income of 80%. You see, most people get in trouble. As you know, it's a simple economic issue. When they, their living goes beyond their income. And then we end up trying to say, well, I don't have enough money. Listen, I test God on this promise. And see if you don't come out ahead. Take a step of faith. And see if God won't bless you. I'm not saying he'll bless you with great wealth and riches. But he'll bless you in ways that money can't buy as well. With your heads bowed. In our response here. And during our response time, I want to ask us to do a self-evaluation. And the self-evaluation is right there at the bottom of your notes. And while the praise team is singing, this is an opportunity for you to kind of check the box that best describes your demonstration of trusting God. Right now, today, where are you at? Where are you at? If you were to really be honest with your trust level. And so there's four boxes in which for you to mark. And so let me encourage you to do a self-evaluation. And and listen, if you don't like the box that you're honestly checking, that's okay. You can change that. You, you You can 
take that step of faith in your finances and take up God's challenge and see if his promise doesn't come true in your own life. As the praise team sings, use this time to evaluate where you're at.